Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 39, End Time Babylon, part 2. In part 1, we started to discuss this most mysterious of Bible prophecies about Babylon, and there's, you know, there's so many different ideas out there who Babylon is, what Babylon is, where it fits in, how it connects into Antichrist, and it can be very, very confusing. And so part one, we started to dissect the sort of structure of what Babylon will be. And we talked about, you know, four distinct parts that sort of roll over into so much else of what is going to be taking place and is starting to take place in the world today. So we talked, first of all, that it was a city. And we know it's a city because in Revelation 14, 17, and 18, it's said to be a city nine times. So we know it's a city. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what city today. And we also talked about that it was an extraordinary, large, complex, and powerful geopolitical organization that is going to control the ten kings of the New World Order, or the, new, or the Nephilim World Order, as I like to say. And it's actually probably going to be the one that assembles those ten kings, or in partnership with, but those ten kings are going to be subservient to Babylon. And we talked about that this was a massive commercial organization as well. And that Revelation 18 describes the trade that will go through it and how rich and how powerful it will become. And we see the reflection of that power in the descriptions that were provided in Revelation 17, many of which we covered in part one. And so it's thought and certainly stated by a lot of the New World Order proponents that Babylon is going to issue a value-added tax to on every transaction, whether it's a service or it's a product, anything that is a commercial transaction, there will be this value-added tax and will grow wealthy from that. And we know in Revelation 18 that the kings and the traders, the oligopolies, the corporations as they're being set up in this new Nephilim world order are going to be the ones that profit from this. And they're going to be the ones who are really disappointed, the, the oligopolies who, uh, when they stand off and they see the destruction of Babylon that's done by the ten kings with Antichrist, as shown at the end of Revelation 17. So we know it's going to be in control of the trade. It will be the hub. It will be New York City on steroids, so to speak. And we also talked about that it was mystery Babylon, a mystery religion, as it goes back to the Greek word mysterion and idolatry and rituals and initiation. So it's going to go back to the home religion as the mother of harlots, which is in prostitutes, which is again another allegory for mystery religions as we talked about in part one. And we know it's a universal religion as we talked about because at the end of Revelation 17, she's, we understand the waters that she sits on are many tongues, many nations, many people, many tribes. So a universal religion. And so when we talked about those four different aspects about Babylon, 
We also covered Babylon was connected to the seven kings, the seven empires of history, four of which we're told about in Daniel 2, 7, and 8, and also the fifth. And the two before we talked about is Assyria, Nimrod, sort of conflating those kind of together as, as an extension out of Nimrod and Babel that Babylon is an allegory for, and probably Egypt, and all of the empires as they connect to Israel in prophecy. So as it talks about the kings, and we're going to talk more about it, when they're talking about those kings, it's those specific kings that have an important historical role and a prophetic role as, it, as prophecy rolls out and an end time rollout in terms of how it affects lost Israel and visible Judah today. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And we're going to talk about how Babylon is relate, related to these empires and their connections to the fourth empire, which is the Roman Empire of Daniel 2 and 7. And so we're also, well, I want to sort of remind people that when we talk about this mystical religion, that all the polytheist religions are daughters of Babylon, as they're described in the Bible. And that's going to be important to understand as we sort of close in on some more of the significant meanings as to who Babylon is. But understand daughters of Babylon are just sort of branches of this worldwide global religion that they're going to assemble again under one universal religion and cosmology. So as we talk about Revelation as uh, a city, we're going to figure out which city that she's going to be the capital of, and, and I think that's sort of in, connected into the empires. But understand that Babylon rides the seven empires. And typically when you're riding a beast or a horse or an animal, you have reign. So it reigns over and controls the empires. And the religious polytheist aspect is the most important sort of aspect to understand about what the effect of the end time coming, the, end, the coming end time universal religion will do. It will control the ten kings. And so she rides all of the empires. The four that are described in Daniel 2 and 7 that we already know have come about, the two that were before, because Daniel is talking about the empires coming forward in a prophecy as opposed to the past ones. And Revelation 17 talks about seven. So you've got the four in Daniel and the one to come. And then there's the eighth one, which will be the Antichrist. So those are the numbers to sort of keep in mind as we talk about this. And that not only does she control the empire, she's the capital city of the empire. So when we talk about the capital empire, capital of the empire, we've got the name Babylon. So Babylon City sort of comes into the picture as a possible city. And there's a couple other ones that we're going to talk about, but I think Babylon is more of an allegory. So when we look at how we understand what Babylon is all about, there's three cities 
that describe that aspect that we've talked about in part one. And the first one is tear. And so when we get the descriptions of tear in prophecy, also think about end time Babylon because that's the commercial aspect. And so you'll have the king of Tyr. You'll have Isaiah talking about Tyr and the destruction of Tyr. And understand that that is the commercial aspect of that, you know, Tyr in the ancient world controlled the commercial trade. Everything went through Tyr. And all, obviously there's Babel and Babylon. Babel being the root to the religion and a Babel city where Nimrod ruled over. And also... Babylon, the capital of the empire. And so we get that this is going to be the religion of Babel, the religion of Babylon, the religion of the beast empires. And the third one is Nineveh, which again sort of goes to that, that time of the dispersion of Israel and just before, and Nineveh is prophesied for destruction. And so maybe it's the king of Assyria for there that as it affects. But I also you know, leave room for Nimrod in there as well. But Nineveh was the city of blood. It was a horrific city. And one should expect that Babylon, who spills the blood of the saints, the city of blood, that's the Nineveh allegory to keep in mind. And so this is going to be the capital city of this empire that rises up out of the Roman Empire. It is the ten feet and toes with the ten kings and the toes representing the toes as ten and or in other prophecies as ten horns and ten kings as are talked about in Revelation. It's all the same description coming out of the two legs as described in Daniel 2 which was the Roman Empire, which had two halves. And you had Constantinople and Rome as kind of the two capital cities of the east and the west of Rome, which again, so you get two more cities that are coming into play in terms of which city are we talking about. So we need to put all of that into mind as we start to figure out some more of the details that are laid out in Revelation 17 as to who Babylon city is going to be for the end time. And so when we get into Revelation 17:9, we start to get some more specific details as to who Babylon city might be for the location as the capital of the new world order before Antichrist sets up Jerusalem as the Sodom and in the last three and a half years after his abomination. But the capital of this Nephilim world order that rises out of Rome, we get some information in Revelation 17:9 as to how we might start to narrow this down. And it says that Babylon sits on seven mountains. And I'm going to come back to that. But understand that mountains is the Greek word oros which can mean a mount, a mountain, or a hill. And typically you had capital cities on hills and fortresses, and you had important mystical polytheist temples put on these hills. 
And so we know it's a city that has seven hills and is connected and rises out of the Roman Empire. And that brings us to Constantinople, which has seven hills, just as Rome has seven hills. And so we need to sort of understand that that's going to play a key role. And I'm, I'm going to come back to that a little bit more, but I just wanted to get a little bit more of that on the table. And because people get confused and why I want to come back is that they say, no, it's not the Seven Hills and it can't be Rome or Constantinople because Revelation 17 says that the seven are seven kings. Well, yes, it does say that, but the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It gives you more information. It doesn't conflict. And the key word in there, transitioning from 17.9, where it talks about the seven mountains and then says that Babylon is seven kings as well, is it says and. So Babylon is, sits on seven mountains and is seven kings, both. And that's the Greek word kai, which means both, which means also, yet, too. It's a word that is put in there. It's not filled in by the translators. It's actually got a Greek word to it in, in the Greek uh, manuscripts of, of Revelation as they're handed down to us. And so it's a king. The, the leader is going to be probably of royal bloodlines of some sort and probably a pope-like figure but i would look for a different sort of term as a as it rises up and again when we look at the kings of the seven empires and understand antichrist is the eighth king and the eighth empire who rises and destroys by partnering with the Ten Kings, Babylon, at the midpoint of the last seven years, as Revelation 17 talks about, and crowns himself in Jerusalem, which will be the new city, because Babylon city is destroyed in Revelation 14, and then the details of that come in Revel at the end of Revelation 17 on how that comes about through the Ten Kings rebelling against the king of Babylon and joining forces with Antichrist. And so Babylon is also the woman and all the allegories and the meanings that we need to get out of this. There's a king there it's in place and it's the king of Babylon, a hell L, H-E-L-E-L, -E -E the allegory that comes out of hell L, H-E-Y-L-E-L -E -E for Satan and the king of Babylon that's used in a lot of the double prophecies. And if you want some of those, get a hold of me because it's important to understand what is going on here in terms of the prophecies and the difference between who the king of Babylon is and the Assyrian is in end time prophecy. And so we need to understand that Babylon is going to have a king and it's also going to sit on the seven hills. And it sits on the seven hills as the seven empires, as ruling throughout history and will in the end time as well until Babylon is destroyed, and literally on seven hills that we're going to come back to. And that the seventh king is going to control those ten kings and actually install them. So now that we know that, let's look at the word Babylon as it's used in the New Testament. 
And that's the Greek word H97, Babylon, it, as it transliterates, there's a U in there for in Babylon. And it can mean Babylon city, as in ancient Babylon, Babylon empire. And it can also mean an allegory for Rome. It's never used as an allegory for Constantinople, but it is used in an allegory in 1 Peter 5.13 when Peter is writing a letter from Babylon, which we know he was in Rome and we know Peter never went to Babylon. So this was a common allegory, Pesher Code by the Essenes, and a common way to talk about Rome without stating the name Rome and was used throughout Judaism of that time, both polytheists with the Kabbalists and the Essenes and with the monotheist uh, aspect of Judaism. So that starts to make some sense because the Roman Empire is the seed of the one and the ashes of the empire that rises into the end time. And so the end time empire is an extension out, just as the, the legs reach down and then extends into the feet and the toes, that's how this empire comes about and with the 10 kings. So we need to understand the allegory that is being talked about here that the likelihood is, is that Rome for all of these reasons that we've talked about, is probably going to be the location where Mystery Babylon sits, the where the woman sits, where the world order that comes before Antichrist with the Ten Kings is going to reign from, where business is going to be centered of, when, and when that city is destroyed, that business, those business transactions just go up and smoke until Antichrist sets up whatever he's going to set up after that out of Jerusalem. And we know that this needs to be an old city. Simply because it's talked about at that time, within the book of, of John, about the four that have come and the one that is. That's they're the, the ones that have come and the one that is about to come. And the one that is, is the Roman Empire who Titus is reigning over at that time. And so the allegories all suggest it's an ancient city, an old city as it's described as. And so Rome is, is, is quite an ancient city. It actually goes back to 753, 753 BC with Romulus and Remus doing the founding. And it was renowned in the ancient world as being the city of seven hills. Not just it has, but it was famous for that. And one of the reasons why it was famous for that is because Romulus and Remus established their capital on seven hills in Rome and those hills are the Palatine Hill, the Abertine Hill, the Calian or the Salian Hill, the uh, Capuline Hill, the Esquiline Hill, the Quirinal Hill, and the Veminal Hills. Seven hills that 
they put walls around to create the cities. And again, typically you have important buildings like temples that are put on these, these cities, with Palatine being the one we're going to focus on here in a second. But of course, the Vatican, who a lot of th people think is going to be end time, will be the end time religion. And I think it's going to be part of it. It may be part of the epicenter, and it may be part of the things that get things rolling in a significant way, just as it's active in bringing about a universal religion now, and it's being changed from the inside as we speak by a Jesuit Pope in preparedness for this universal religion. Understand the hill that the Vatican sits on is not part of those seven hills. But it is a famous hill in Etruscan history who were there before the Romans, before the Roman Empire. And on that hill, there was ancient Etruscan temples. And it was a place of oracles at the time of the Etruscans, a place of prophecy, as we would understand it in Christianity. And during the time of the Carthaginian Wars, as Rome is about to become a world empire to succeed Greece, they build, the Roman people build a temple on Vatican Hill. And this is the temple of Fergianum, Fergianum, depending on how you want to pronounce that. In the temple of Sibylle, the Frigianum of Sibylle. And she is known in Roman mystical religious history as the Queen of Heaven. So there's a connection here to the Roman religion and the Vatican Hill and a connection to the Seven Hills. But Vatican Hill is across the Tiber River, so it's apart from the Seven Hills, and of course it was walled around and part of the city of Rome once Rome grew, but at that time, at the time of John's vision, they're talk he is talking about the Seven Hills that the woman sits on. So this is the mystical religion, a daughter of Babylon, the Babel religion, the Queen of Heaven, as Jeremiah talks about that is somehow connected to Sibylle, the mother goddess and the queen of heaven as she is also known on Vatican Hill. And I think that means that Catholicism will be an extension and an important extension, but a part of this universal religion as it spreads to the whole world. And they bring back the original religion of Babel and the original religion that brought the antediluvian world to its knees in the apocalypse by water, the Enochian mysticism, and it's all the same root religion. And of course, Sibylle, as the queen of heaven, her home temple was located in the city of Rome on one of the seven hills and that is the Palatine Hill. And the Vatican Hill is like a branch location. 
I also think that when we look at the mystical religion as we look around the world, you're going to have sort of that sort of transplanted imagery all around the world. I think you're going to have major cities of abominations and mysticism and the universal religion as sort of globalist satellite cities secondary to the major city of Rome carrying out Babylon's will and carrying out the ritual. So you'll have a lot of these cities around the world in the Ten Empires. So expect that. We don't get that biblically, but I think that's a logical conclusion in my speculation and also basing on that those branch denominations of the religion under this universal umbrella religion as the Vatican will be a branch religion um, with sort of a reinvented Christianity uh, that becomes a polytheist Christianity will be like that extension and that denomination of the of the Roman area and representing uh, Christians who leave the faith as we would understand the faith uh, in in the new religion. And what's also interesting about Sibylle and the Seven Mountains is that it's that Queen of Heaven title. And this is a title that is known all around ancient polytheism. So whether or not it's Isis, that's in the Egyptian pantheon, who's known as the Queen of Heaven, and countless others, this is a standard title for the Mother Goddess. So the mother goddess aspect is coming back some way, somehow, as part of Babylon of the end time. And the best definition I can provide for you in terms of where that sort of comes from and understand it's the same goddess in each of the pantheons, because it's all the same root polytheist pantheon, is Inanna of Sumeria. And she was known as the Queen of Heaven as well. And Inanna is another name for Istart or Ishtar or Ashtaroth. And as I say, all the same goddess, just different vernacular names. And her name is broken down as, as, as Inanna Nin for lady or woman. And Anna or Anu for heaven and also the parent God of the Sumerian pantheon. And so Anu means sky or heaven, Nin means lady or woman, and therefore queen of heaven. And this will be the religion that is going to be dominating. So expect things like, um, like the Mary apparitions that are taking hold of Babylon today the seeds of the coming religion that I think are the seeds being planted in the Roman Catholic Church through the Mary apparitions are taking shape right now. And they're going to raise up this whole ideology through the Mary apparitions because Mary is common and renowned in not only in Islam but that allegory for that Queen of Heaven is renowned around the world and an important aspect of the polytheist religion. So I think it's going to be one of those key aspects.
that people need to be prepared for. And I would expect false prophets, as Jesus talks about in the first three and a half years for the tribulation of the saints, which are the tribulation saints in Revelation 7, the part of the first fruits, who the ones who are already martyred and raised are told to wait for in Revelation 6. This is the affliction, which is the Greek word Philippians for tribulation. This is the first three and a half tribu year tribulation of the saints. There'll be probably tribulation before Babylon takes power. That occurs with the rise of Babylon. And of course, Babylon with their king will be so powerful that Antichrist will partner with the ten kings and they will destroy Babylon after three and a half years being in power and set up their a new Nephilim world order. So hopefully that gives you a little bit better idea as to what you might want to anticipate and not get caught up into any one aspect, but look for all of this sort of to come together in this sort of format because it's going to be so easy to be deceived and then when things don't quite play out the way you think they might be then your faith can be drained to a certain degree and we don't want that to happen so we want to make sure that we understand the chronology of end-time prophecy so that the polytheists can't deceive us because Antichrist has to set up a scenario where he can be like Jesus and though, although he's going to be the one that's going to be part of negotiating this new world order, Daniel 9.27, he doesn't rise to power until the three and a half year point. And so at that point, he's going to need an Armageddon war, and he's going to have to have things done so that people will say, yeah, it makes sense that he is coming back to save us, and he is actually Jesus. And that's why we want to be careful on the details and we want to ensure that we're taking all prophecy into account and the details so that we're not led astray. So if you're wanting detailed information on this, I do have a document on it. Uh, so get a hold of me and it'll include part one. You can get a hold of me through my website at the genesis6conspiracy.com contact the author or contact me at my email directly at genesis6conspiracy at gmail.com and those all have the number six in it. So until next time, may God bless you abundantly and continue to be a contrarian and a Berean and continue to search out all the aspects of Bible and prophecy because it's so very important.